I am thankful to be with you all this morning. And I've figured that probably over the years, you have had all of the traditional Christmas sermons. You've gone through everything on that. But I feel like today, as we prepare and look forward to Christmas, that we understand really that message so we can communicate it to others. So the things that I picked for the bulletin, for the worship, the liturgy that we go through, it's embracing those, those ideas. And as you may have wondered at my title, Christmas, Gift or Condemnation? Well, the view is, is, is to realize that there is really a distinction there, that it's not just God's love, but how his love is expressed and what it delivers us from. My text is John 3.16 through 21 and then verse 36. This is the word of God. Please listen to it carefully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then in verse 36, John writes, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we contemplate this very familiar passage, that we would understand it from your perspective, that we would understand what you have done, and that will change us. Father, we ask that you'd be with the one who preaches Calm my mind, order it. Guide my words. Let our hearts, my heart included, be open to receive your word and to magnify our Lord Jesus Christ through it. For we ask in his name. Amen. John 3.16 is undoubtedly the best-known verse um, of the Bible, uh, you see it in a lot of places. Down in San Diego, there's an 18-wheeler that parks on an overpass that has it on there. Uh, you can see it in football games. You'll see it sometimes on uh, posters in parades as you watch parades. I think the, the verse that should be posted is 318. Let me read that one to you again. 
whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.16 may be almost too familiar for us, because it, and, and it loses its impact because of that. It's sort of like Christmas. You see it everywhere. And when we should be focusing on the, the wonder of the incarnation, of God coming down and taking on human flesh, we can get lost by that. It's, it's so easy to participate in the superficial that we miss the message. You know, even as you see nativities, they can be a cliché. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know those words well, and, and we, we sort of, it, it's almost like they will pass over us. We, we don't dwell on it. And it's easy to have sort of a sentimental feeling about as, as this as we approach Christmas. And we appreciate, particularly when we see a good nativity, in some places, I remember in Washington, D.C. Wow, that, I bet they, I wonder if they do that now. It was 50 years ago. They did a live nativity with camels and everything right there down uh, in the memorial area. And we, we enjoy that. But understand what the rest of John 3.16 points out. He did this so that they not perish. In other words, that they not spend eternity in hell. This is what's missed by so many. And it's something that we need to be aware of. Because how do we tell people of God's grace, how do we describe grace if they don't understand the holiness of God, the seriousness of our sin? We can wish them Merry Christmas, but do they have any ability at all to understand what Christmas is about? Is it just some nice sentimental thing where maybe Warring armies have a ceasefire. If we really understood it, would we be having some of those wars? I know this isn't a very sugary thing, and I'm not going to give you a, a nice, warm, fuzzy message this morning, because I want us to take seriously what God has done, so that as we talk with others, that we may then convey something of why they need to believe on the name of the Son of God. People these days would rather not think about hell, and it may not be the best way to uh, introduce this in society, and I'd have to be honest, there are probably many, most preachers don't want to preach about hell. Uh, most congregations don't want to hear about it too much. 
although there are times that we need to. It's not pleasant, but it's real. And Jesus didn't speak about it. He spoke about God's wrath frequently. And the reason why we need to focus on it and understand it is because it's the destination of all of those who don't believe on Christ. People don't come to a crossroads where they have to make a decision. They are at a point where they're on a road that is going straight in that direction and they have to turn around. That's what we need to realize. None of us have come to crossroads. We have been confronted with what the truth is. See, we, we need to know about hell, though, so that we can understand our sinfulness, that we can understand the unworthiness that we have of God's grace. And we do that in understanding he's holy. I, in this past uh, year, came into contact with uh, one gentleman who was rendering a service repeatedly. Uh, and as we talked about things, he came up, he asked, well, why does, why, why does God have to have wrath? Why can't he just let it go and accept everybody? Well, I, I told him why. He didn't get it. Do you know why he didn't get it? Because he didn't understand his sinfulness. He didn't want to understand it. And I may get way ahead of myself in my notes, but that's okay. I'm going to follow the, the thread here. Because as you see, as, as, as is described here in the gospel, people don't want the light. They'd rather stay in the darkness. Have you ever been in a, gotten up in the middle of the night and the lights are completely out and you have to make it get someplace and you can't turn a light on and you bang into things? It makes sense. You know, at least use your cell phone to get a little light there so you can see where you're going. But not to not do that and just to continually bang into things is sort of ridiculous, isn't it? But that's the way we are naturally. What the gospel describes here is that we would rather be in that darkness and bang into things and destroy ourselves than to step into the light and to see what is there before us and what we need to turn away from. This is what is described here. This is, and as we see that, then we understand God's grace. We understand the, the astounding greatness and compassion of him sending his son to take on human flesh. C.S. Lewis wrote, I have met no people who fully disbelieve in hell and also had a living and life-giving belief in heaven. Some of you know people who have turned away because they could not accept the idea of God punishing anyone forever. And I think Lewis is correct here. 
If you don't get that, if you don't see the reason for God punishing sin because of his holiness, there is no way that you or I could understand what grace is about. I was listening to uh, R.C. Sproul on the way up, and it was in that passage in Luke about uh, why, uh, why when Pilate sacrificed some worshipers and their blood was mixed with their sacrifices, why that had to happen. And, and Jesus' response was, that, well, basically, as Sproul said, that's the wrong question. And we do ask that question, don't we? You know, where is God when this happens in my life or to these people? But the question should be, why didn't it happen to me? Because he's holy and I'm not. For people who don't think there's a hell, John 3.16 is just a poster out there. It's just, uh, it's just a, a, a sentiment. Now, I, I don't raise this because it's pleasant, obviously, because it's true. The prophets and the apostles spoke of hell. Jesus himself spoke of it. Some say that we should only emphasize the message of God's love. But love has to have a context, and that's what Jesus puts it in. I would encourage you never quote John 3:16 to somebody again unless you include 17 and 18. That's the explanation of what God's love is like. Now, some would say, well, you can't scare people into heaven, and that's true. Some of you are old enough, like I am, you remember the little chick publications, the little comic books, sort of like, and at the end was this fiery pit and, and such as that. Uh, the Lord may have used those with some people. I don't know. Is it wrong to show people the danger? Y'all are living in California. California doesn't just put out a public service announcement that says, warning, tobacco may be harmful to your health, or this uh, cord has lead in it, warning. No, they stick that on every item that comes out. And people read it. You all read them. You, you've seen those warnings on the things you bought. Why did you buy them? Because who knows? You wanted the product. You wanted what was you were going to get. It's just like those who are living in darkness. In fact, our culture considers it criminal if we do not warn people about those things which might hurt, harm them, or kill them temporally. Well, if that's true, should we not even more so be concerned for those things that will destroy a person eternally? See, that's what Christmas is about. That's the context of God's love. That is what the angels marveled at. They understood.
granted, there shouldn't be a joy when we're speaking about hell or speak about God's condemnation. We shouldn't feel a relish or an anticipation as we would consider those of a different political persuasion or cultural persuasion maybe going there. No, in fact, and, and you probably won't have that context this week, but you, you will have the context of people you work with, some neighbors, family members, who haven't gotten it yet, who don't understand. And there should be a soberness then. Perhaps even a brokenheartedness at the hardness of their hearts. Some of you will probably even feel the tears as you see family members who were just rejected. And I, and I would... I would caution you against being closed-hearted towards them and giving up. We need to have a soberness about it. Why? Listen to how Jesus speaks of it, and I won't read the whole passage. In Mark 9, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to go to enter life crippled than having your two hands go into hell and the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And he continues there. <clears throat> unquenchable. In other words, it won't end. You may get burned here. I've got a scar on my hand where I got burned. It, it's over. I don't feel that anymore. That was a long, long time ago. But there, it's not quenched. There is not an end. The worm does not die. It goes on. In Luke 16, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abram far away and Lazarus in his, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. What is the eternal fire for? It is for the devil. Why? Because he's bad. But understand, so are we in our sin. It is what we deserve. Is it real flames? Well, it's for angelic beings, and it's for those with resurrected bodies in which they will suffer forever. So it may not exactly be the same as what we understand, but the Lord has given us a description of of something we do understand to get a sense of it. 
And I would say that it is probably worse than anything we could imagine or have experienced because it doesn't stop. You know, our bodies will reach a point in, in enduring pain where we pass out. Shock. That does not seem to be an option. I know this is grim. I feel it as I'm speaking it. Uh, Isaiah says in the first chapter, Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. But transgressors and sinners will be crushed together and those who forsake the Lord will come to an end. Surely you will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired and you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. For you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away or as a garden that has no water. The strong man will become tender. His work also is spark. I, we could say the rich, the, the, the wealthy. Thus they shall both burn together and there will be none to quench them. That all sounds pretty horrible. And some would insist that God would never do this to anyone. But this is where I think that so many get it confused. And I'm not just talking about the so-called nuns, you know, those who have no religion at all. I mean, even atheists have a kind of religion. Their religion is to deny that God exists. They are fervent in that. Uh, they agnostics. Not talking about those. I would be more concerned about those in the churches, maybe even some of you, who really don't want to wrap your minds around that. But as you, if you look at Romans one, you see how God treats it. What does God do to us then when we refuse to believe Him and to give glory to Him? He lets us have our own way. He gives you over to the foolishness of your own thoughts. Someone has said that there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who say, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. This is God's judgment on them. And what happens is as people are given over to this as they refuse to glorify God, as, as they reject the holiness of God, in their rebellion, they devolve into degrading religions. They don't want the God of the Bible. And maybe they, they do want some higher power, but they make him out to be what they want, what they can fit into and God gives them over to degrading themselves in every manner. And we see that in our culture today. And they revel in it. You see, the worst thing that God can do to you or I while we're on this earth is let us have our own way. Parents, pay attention to that. That may be the worst thing you can do for your children, grandparents, for your grandchildren, is to let them have 
and do everything they want. And some of you may say to me, Pastor, we do know all of this. And we don't need to hear about this, especially at Christmas. And I would say, thankfully, that probably most of you all here do know this. I won't agree, though, that we don't need to hear about it. I need to hear about it. I'm convicted just by the last month or two where I had an opportunity and didn't take it. Didn't want to make waves. But realize something. There are many of us who will wish people Merry Christmas, people who have no, under, no way, no ability to know what it's about. We're wishing them something they can't have without Christ. Why? Maybe we're, we're afraid of making waves. Businesses, you know, what, what do they do? You'll hear happy holidays. They don't want to lose money. Is that what drives us? Hell is hideous. The concept of eternal suffering of a kind of fire is horrible. But you see, our sin, your sin, my sin, is horrible in the light of God's grace. In comparison to God's holiness, in comparison to his love, it is a choice. It's Christmas or condemnation. You see, this is why Christmas is so important for us. It's, we don't need to get caught up in the arguments that people raise about, well, we're just sort of reclaiming a pagan holiday and the materialism of it. Let's don't get distracted by those things. Let's focus on what God has done and why he did it. Boy, if you can explain to one person in this next week why God sent his son, you'll come next Sunday rejoicing that you were able to give testimony, perhaps like those angels did. See, this, this is what we look towards. It is the Son of God coming into human flesh to give obedience to the Father and to pay for our disobedience, our rebellion, our sin. And let me assure you that whatever someone experiences here in this life now, no matter how bad, it's nothing in comparison to what be, will be experienced under the wrath of God. That doesn't end. What did God do? Paul says in Romans 5, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This is what God has done for us. He took on a human body as an infant at Christmas. And then he took on our sin at Calvary. And on that cross, he suffered the unabated wrath of his Father in our place. He endured rejection so that you and I could have reconciliation with the Father. Listen to this again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why would anyone here not believe? Verse 19 tells us, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. We love our sin rather than the light. I saw an interesting definition of lust. It would be lust for a lot of things. But lust is actually the desire to sin. That's, that's why it doesn't happen by accident. And it doesn't want to give up. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ... You have chosen Christmas. You understand it. But if you haven't decided yet, if you haven't done it, what you're actually choosing to do is to stay under the wrath of God. You're choosing to have God turn you over to the most foolish things that your heart could conceive of in rejecting him. Scripture says that Jesus did not come to condemn any of us, but to give us life. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Paul gives a good expression or, or summary of, of this, if you will, but now, 
having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word that we have before us. It is your warning as well as your invitation. It is a description of your love, but also the darkness of our hearts. We prayed at the beginning that you would open our hearts that we could understand this. And that is our prayer now that we would fully understand our sinfulness and your grace. Father, I would pray for us that in this week ahead, that as we have opportunities, perhaps to wish someone Merry Christmas, that we would take that opportunity to tell them, if need be, how they could know it. That we would not fear man. We would not fear the displeasure, perhaps, of relatives. But we would love them through that. That we would love our Savior so much that we would be so taken by your gift to us that we actually want to share it and bring them into the light. Use us this week, Lord. Please use us. Let our focus be upon Christ. Let us exalt him. Let us give him the glory, even as the angels did. For we ask in his name. Amen.